This is another one of my attempts to own signs of Nordic tradition away from the right extremists who are sometimes mining Nordic traditional heritage. This time it isn't an object or a graphic figure uh, that I'm trying to, to spread, but rather just a practice, uh, you know, or an idea. And it's this here traditional hairstyle, uh, which can be given, uh, perhaps it even had in its original Iron Age context, some rather badass Odinic symbolisms. Uh, and I'll show you how to make this later in the video. Um, as usual, I'm a little bit paranoid about symbols being taken up by the wrong people. Uh, but if you sympathize with this idea, then you're very welcome to spread it to people that you trust to be the right kind of people. Anti-racist people who might want to do this with their long hippie hair, you know? <laughs> um, right extremists uh, mining of Nordic heritage actually continues to be a rather gigantic problem. And the reason that this problem is literally gigantic is not that some symbol or other has become unavailable to some privileged, you know, white hippies for aesthetically fashioning their self-image, you know. That's not a particularly urgent problem in a world which is presently, as I'm making this video, teetering at the brink of the drooling idiocy of a nuclear war started by the military-industrial complex, as if we needed more global existential threads in a situation where we are already accelerating towards the biggest collapse in the history of life for 66 million years, right? <laughs> you know, why the fuck, you might ask, is ownership over raven designs and runes and wheel of crosses and archaic calendars and hairstyles even important in these situations. And, and you know, to tell you the truth, I sometimes have my doubts actually, um, but it is what I know and it's what I can contribute with. And I actually think that it is important, even in the context of these grand catastrophes, because these are defining elements in how Euro-descendants understand themselves. And if you didn't notice these catastrophes, they are predominantly caused by Euro-descendants. Uh, perhaps Asians are also getting a little bit on the you know, bandwagon of omnicidal ways of driving the world towards total apocalypse, of course, but mainly also historically, mainly Euro-descendants. Now, one fundamental reason for this apocalyptic behavior is that your descendants are immersed in modernity. And as defined by modernity, we are, or perhaps we become what is sometimes called white people, right? As white people, we exist in seclusion from access to our traditional culture of land connectedness, kinship with the other than human ecology of beings, uh, and the rupture of these family bonds and these interrelations with the world as others and with the world as persons around us, you know, that is part of the reason that we treat the world not as kin, but as this dead resource storage that's basically just there for us to colonize and exploit as efficiently as possible, right? Now, we do have traditional culture in our heritage. But that traditional culture has been very intensively othered. Uh, partly it has been identified as primitive savagery, and partly it's been reduced to kind of pretty savage in the uh, construction of modernist 
nationalisms and whiteness. And these processes of rejecting and marginalizing Eurodescendant traditional culture persists, which is why, for instance, the media insists on associating it partly with New Age silliness and partly with outright fascism. These are associations that ensures that Eurodescendants are being kept encased in modernity and the ensuing abusive patterns. Right? So you see how this means that the fascist mining of Eurodescendant traditional culture, you know, that, that it supports this marginalization of Eurotraditionalism because no sane, decent person will ever touch it with a 10-foot pole if it's associated with that stuff, right? And therefore, this marginalization upholds Eurodescendants as modernist white people, right? I.e., the fascist mining of Nordic symbolism is part of maintaining an ongoing upholding the cultural foundation that creates a general situation where also normal, non-fascist, white, modern people remains steeped in social systems that are deeply destructive to the planet, to other people or the persons around us, and to other humans on the planet, and to each other, probably. Okay? Okay, end of rant. <laughs> um, but that's just the reason why uh, resisting right extremist symbol mining has implication that reaches far, far beyond sort of the enjoyable, interesting aspect of coining some hipster hairstyle to animist Euro-traditional meanings, right? You see what I'm saying? I hope I'm making the case for the importance of owning signs like this. And this is a sign. Your body is signs. There are signs on the body. Clothes is also signs, symbols, in a sense. Now, this hairstyle here is sometimes called the Swabian knot or Swaben Knoten, which refers to an ethnic um, uh, umbrella group that included a number of ethnicities in the Roman era, the ones marked in red on this map. Um, but I think this name um, derives from the fact that the Roman writer Tacitus describes this hairstyle, which in his day was an identifier of that particular uh, Germanic group called the Swaby, uh, who, according to Tacitus, comb their hair over to the side of the head and tie it in a low knot behind. And this, Tacitus says, distinguishes the Swaby from other Germans and the freeborn of the Swaby from slaves. But in fact, I think that when we look at this uh, in a slightly wider historical context, I think this Swaby identification, it, perhaps it looks a little bit arbitrary. I mean, they might have been the one invented it, you know, who knows. Uh, but but it, it looks a little bit to me like, you know, the same kind of sausage can be called a Frankfurter sausage in Vienna and a Viennese sausage in Frankfurt. Stuff is sometimes named from some other place. When stuff is named from the outside, it's given these sometimes kind of random names, right? Um, so, so, yeah, this hairstyle might have been identified with the Swaby from... Tacitus' perspective, but he wrote this around uh, 98 uh, CE. Uh, but in the following centuries, the hairstyle seems to appear a little bit uh, around the place, also in other locations. Um, from uh, the following period, uh, we have a couple of bog buddies in from the southern part of Jutland, and they display this this hairstyle. Uh, still tied to the side, as we also see in, in Roman depictions. Uh, but importantly, in this respect here, somewhat later still in the 
uh, in the 400s and, and, and a good bit into the 500s, some imagery start emerging in southern Scandinavia on the Bracteate medallions. And there's a subgroup uh, of Bracteates that are typologized as sea Bracteates, where we typically see a horseman of sorts um, that has many has identified this horseman with Odin, uh, kind of a different uh, discussion. But there's something about the hair. You know? First, they regularly have these knots in the back. Uh, and that could very well be this kind of knot. Uh, it has certainly been interpreted as such. Uh, but the important thing is that when we compare these Bracteates, uh, I think perhaps we see a glimpse of the symbolic meaning of this hairstyle. Hair can have symbolic meaning, actually. It's not just something that's fashionable. Of course, it's that too, you know. But, uh, you know, just a quick skimming around the internet uh, just told me that, for instance, Rastafarians, uh, their dreadlocks, they symbolize the mane of the Lion of Judah, the symbol of the power that leads the people out of Babylon and into the scion of African sovereignty, right? Look at this common image here that visualizes that by letting the lion grow out of Bob Marley's hair, actually. Um, here is a hairstyle that symbolizes renunciation of worldly fashion, which makes sense because it looks pretty dorky, right? Um, the, the Jews, they wear the peyote, the side curls, because it says so in the law, <laughs> uh, to not cut the sides of the corners of one he one's head, or to not shave the sides of the corners of one's heads. Uh, and to many Jews, this is an identifier. It means, I'm a Jew, you know? Some dude on the internet, uh, claims that indigenous Americans wear braided hair as a sign of unity with the, infin with the infinite, you know, with the infinite, <laughs> uh, while free-flowing hair signifies the free flow of life. Uh, the Maori topknots have loads of myths about them, some, for instance, referencing the god Rewa, uh, and uh, you could probably go on and on. Uh, I actually often think there could be different interpretations going on on the same hairstyle. And you can probably hear stuff like Rastafarians saying that dreadlocks are spiritual antennas, you know, or you can hear monks saying that this open, this tonsure, it, it opens the head to God, something like this. These kind of signs can have many meanings, but hair can certainly be associated with rather deep uh, cosmological uh, uh, meanings. So back to North European knots on the Bractates. They are actually in parallel with a lot of other stuff going on around the head uh, of the human figure. Primarily birds. Birds seem to be pointing towards the head, almost as if they're speaking to the head. Birds are sticking out from something on the forehead, or birds are just somewhere around the head. And significantly, birds seem to basically emerge out of the fucking hair. A bird's head basically looking out of the knot. Um, and now uh, I think we can read this in a slightly wider context where birds in relation to human heads is in fact a really important uh, symbolic motif that you see quite a lot. Uh, you see bird heads inside bird shapes, you know, in these fibulae. You see bird shapes on helmets, you know, and, and this is an ancient motif that goes all the way back to the Bronze Age, you know, importantly, 
uh, birds emerging like horns radiating out of from the heads of these ritual dancers, uh, uh, characteristic of, of late Iron Age and Viking Age. So this whole complex of bird-human head, you know, in my view, it relates to the raven god Odin, uh, who, like raven in First Nations uh, Pacific Coast mythology, is sometimes anthropomorph, but is also able to send his mind in the form of ravens. Uh, and now it's, it's rather difficult to speculate about what people thought about their hair knots in the Iron Age, but looking at this material, I think it makes a lot of sense to recover this traditional hairstyle with reference to this birdhead Odin complex. I read this knotting literally with inspiration from the Bractate imagery, actually, as a bird head, a raven's head, right? Odin's inspiration, perhaps Odin's protection, perhaps calling his power his presence. It, it's a little bit like this common image of Bob Marley with a lion growing out of his head. The dreadlocks symbolizes the lion, the lion's mane. It's, it's funny, that it's so similar, the symbolism. So my suggestion is that if you vibe with that, then start using it, you know. Uh, but try to restrict this bodily sign to or target it towards kind and staunchly anti-racist people by basically sharing it with them. So they're the ones who get this idea of this practice and inspiration. If this has the cultural potential to break through, then it has to break through, through the right people. <laughs> All right. Uh, so here's a bit of instruction in how to uh, make your long hair, you fucking hippie, <laughs> into a traditional Nordic raven knot. Um, you can do it with or without, with or without a hairband. I'm going to try to show you without first. And that's the the hardcore way. Um, the first thing you need to do is hold the hair, but then you need to twist it. Um, and you need to twist it quite a lot if you're doing it without the, the, um, without the um, hairband. See, I'm twisting it. And moving little by little, I'm moving out. Moving as far out as I can. I need the, the very tips of the hair to also be very twisted. You see the twisting holds the hair out there. Then I double it and let it go. So it fall, forms this ropey kind of thing. Then you see I put a finger and turns it around in order to then press the little twisted rope through the hole here. Voila! Oh, I'm not sure how good that became, but that's basically a swaby knot made without, without a, a hairband, right? Cool. Um, and it can actually hold itself, as you see. However, I mostly actually just use a hairband when I do it, basically because it makes it easier. Um, what you do is basically that you, you just tie it with the hairband so it holds. And then you do the same thing, but it requires a little bit less uh, 
uh, tough twisting, which I think I suspect that this uh, this very t intense twisting is a little bit is a little bit hard on the hair. Probably wears out the hair a little bit. So I don't know. Maybe it's just in my mind. But this is. So you see, I double it again and make this little ropey thing and then around a finger that I can then use to squeeze it through. So, raven knot, now with a hairband. And I'm actually even experimenting with not twisting it at all. Uh, so I'm basically just making a a, a raven knot for um, for everyday use, um, and then what I do is I use the loop here uh, of the of the uh, in a slightly different way. You see, I hold the loop here on the fingers, and then I just pull the untwisted hair around and grab it with the fingers, and basically pulls it through the loop. So the loop holds the tip of the hair like that. This is a very quick way of making it. Um, cool. <clears throat> but I also su su suggest that you experiment with it a little bit. It takes a little bit of practice and in the beginning, you know, uh, but you'll get used to it quickly. It's, you know, perhaps it holds a little bit better with some wax or something. Perhaps you can uh, <laughs> make it work in different ways and figure out how you like it. I tend to like it, you know, a little bit high on the head, actually, these days. Sometimes pushing it a little bit to the side, sort of hinting a little bit at that Iron Age chic, you know? <laughs> and uh, also remember that this is not like, for instance, Maori hair, where there are very distinct social signals and mythologies to different ways of tying a head uh, top knot, right? Um, this is us today recovering perhaps even inventing stuff, which is rather difficult to say something about if you want to be very strictly historical, right? And uh, yeah, my intuition is that this would probably have been a male hairstyle predominantly in the Iron Age. However, we live in an age where that's not really so important, so I wouldn't suggest restricting it, really. You know, just noting that traditional culture always have, or often have, these uh, gender uh, markers, which are then also being regularly transgressed, transgressed and so on. So, and also, by the way, when you look at Viking Age archaeology, which is a somewhat later, you certainly see nodding going on, but that's on female hair. So, uh, really, just knock yourself out, <laughs> right? So, thanks for watching, and uh, do spread the idea of using the Raven knot or the Swaby knot to uh, to the right people. Cool. Thanks for listening, and see you around. Ben, Ben, Katie.